Good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome to Get It On Church. <laughs> I'm a little confused this morning. Okay, so I'm trying to get the things figured out and lined out here. So, but great to have you with us this morning. And my name's Tim. And if it's your first time here, we are so glad that you uh, come and joined us. And we hope that you'll benefit uh, from being with us here this morning. You know, we believe at Greater All, we we say we're a bridge to a better life. Well, Jesus is that bridge to a better life, and we hope that. Something said, something done, something that you sing or you experience will help you discover the better life found in Christ Jesus, all right? Now, in your bulletin, there are several things going on, and I think they're selling Krispy Kremes. Uh, That's coming coming up, if I remember right. And I think there's uh, this Friday, is it? The uh, Root Beer Bash is this Friday? Yep. Yeah. All right. And that's going to be on our campus. And if anybody would like to help, just talk to Nathan and Nicole. Uh, uh, let them know that they would they sure could use your help. This is going to be the first time we've had it on our campus at SIUE, and we're excited about that. Also on the back, you're already noticing Trees from the Trunk is, is going to be here. Uh, it's the oldest uh, candy giveaway in, in this area, guys. We did this years ago with just about a handful of cars, and now everybody gets into the game, and we have a great time meeting people in the community and uh, giving out candy in a safe environment, which is really important nowadays, huh? Would you agree? Also, you're going to notice there's a set of notes if you want to follow along today's lesson, as well as a communication card that you can fill out if you like uh, to to, uh, maybe over a decision you've made or maybe you'd like to ask some people to pray. We have a ministry that does nothing but pray through those cards. And uh, everybody gets a, just a few cards, and they don't go around telling everybody. They don't go text anybody. They don't take photos of them and send them to everybody and say, look what so-and-so did. Look what the... That's not about that. They talk to God and only God about it, and uh, we, they figure that you're asking for prayers. And so they're, they're uh, going to do that on your behalf. They do that throughout the week for you. We're in a series of lessons called Living Like a King, and, and uh, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And this, this particular sermon of Jesus is a series of lessons that he did. And it's, it's, uh, it seems to me that the rest of the New Testament tries to explain this sermon. That it keeps coming back to the values of this, of this sermon that Jesus preached. You find this sermon in, in, uh, between, in Matthew 5 through 7 as well as in Luke 6. And the, the, it, we find in its content are the core values of the King of Kings. If you want to know what's important to God, Sermon on the Mount tells you. If you want to know what matters, and if you want to know how to live a great life, a happy life in Christ, a blessed life in Christ, the Sermon on the Mount touches on that. And today we're looking at the second beatitude uh, in this series, and that is, Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So I, I titled this lesson, How God Blesses the Brokenhearted. You know, it doesn't take long if you think about it, it doesn't take very, very long for you to realize we live in a broken world. This is not heaven. Have you figured that out? <laughs> oh, man. You know, it is, it is uh, a broken world. It's busted world. I heard years ago somebody say this. I never forgot it. said, when Eve bit into the fruit, the world turned into the Jerry Springer show. It just got upside down in a hurry. And, uh, it, and it's still true. And we live in a world that's... You watch the news, and it's enough to depress you. You see beheadings, you see rioting, you see racism, you see the poor, you see viruses, uh, you see all this stuff, all the suffering in this world. And you think, why is this happening? It's because it's broken, folks. This world is not your home as a Christian. Don't get too attached to it. 
Okay? It's not your home. You are just passing through. All right? And aren't you, and some of us here, aren't you glad that heaven is waiting for you? Oh, praise God. I can't wait. I really can't wait. The only thing that's keeping me here, well, is a grandbaby now. And, and really, what does God want? And, and, and the Lord, you know? So, uh, that's, that's why we're still sticking around in a way. If, if Jesus, if God wanted you to go to heaven after you became a Christian, He'd have took you. The day you were baptized, boom, you'd have been gone. But He has you sticking around for a reason. And uh, you're here this morning. Hopefully, you're going to be blessed. I know right now, because this is a broken world, many of you, if not all of you, have some kind of story of brokenness. There's something going on in everybody's lives right now. We call it drama. But sometimes it's disappointment, isn't it? Sometimes it's tough stuff. In fact, if you look up on the screen, look, how, look what Solomon says. He said this in, in, in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And I remember the first time I read this passage, I said, well, that sounds like a rock song I listened to when I was a kid, you know. And, uh, and look what it says here. It says, there's a time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to grieve, a time to dance. You know, it used to be the world, it was all about, it was about dancing and laughing. But now that it's broken, we live in a series of opposites throughout our lifetime. We find there is a time when we do laugh, but there's a time we cry. There is a time we dance, but there's a time we grieve. And that's because this world, this, our lives, we, we face disappointments. We face things that discourage us. We face obstacles in our lives sometimes and, and great loss, moments of defeat, moments of difficulty. And, what's, what, and what did Jesus say when he got his chance to talk about this, when he got a crowd together, he said these words on your notes. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He says, look, I'm already going to tell you it's a broken world, but happy are the ones that mourn. Happy are the ones that are sad. That don't make sense, does it? God, are you saying, I'll be happy if I'm sad? You want me to be sad all the time? Now, there's a lot of Christians that obey that really well. They don't need any help from the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm talking about? They're sad all the time. They're bothered all the time. And, and, and Jesus said, no, I'm, not, I'm just saying is the way to happiness is through grieving. That when you learn to mourn, you, you can be a happy person. I'm not expecting you to be sad all the time, Tim, but let's face it, you're not going to be happy all the time either, and I'm not expecting that. The pressure's off. Because how many times as Christians have we found ourselves putting on our smiley faces? How's it going? Wonderful. Great. Awesome. When it's not, we're lying. I read an article sent to me, the biggest lie in the church. And I thought, I can think of a bigger lie. When we're saying, I'm fine. Big liar. You're a liar. You know, we all have stories of disappointment, of despair. And Jesus knows that and accepts that. And He wants you to know right off the bat, before He talks about a lot of other things, He says you need to be poor in the Spirit, realize you need Me, and also understand that it's okay to mourn. In fact, you need to mourn. But Tim, I don't like to mourn. I don't like to grieve. That's, that's too painful. It hurts too much. Well, the Bible tells us, and if you read your Scriptures, you find out, that it, yes, it hurts. Grieving hurts. We do it because we hurt. But it also can be helpful. And it can be healthy. I got news for you guys. If you stuff 
all the things that hurt you and stuff it down deep inside, you're going to get stuck. I know a lot of people that stuff it, and I've done it myself. Just stuff it inside, keep pushing it down, don't deal with it, don't express it, keep it suppressed, and you know what happens? You get stuck. You become bitter, bothered, calloused people if you don't grieve, if you don't learn to grieve. Look, at, look what Solomon said here. Sorrow is even better than laughter. Now, there's the, the verse before that, he says, it's better to go to a funeral than to a party. I don't know how you are. Do you go through the obituary going, what are we going to do tonight, honey? Well, there's a great funeral over here at Gent. Let's go there. Who's it for? I don't know. It'll be a lot of fun. And yet the Bible says it's better to go to a funeral than to a party. And then he says, sorrow's even better than laughter. Now, I don't know. Reader's Digest says laughter's the best medicine. And the Bible says, no, it's not. There's something even better for us. Why is it better? He says, because when our faces are sad, our heart becomes good. There's something about, guys, when you grieve, when you and I mourn, if we don't do that, if we don't learn to, to get it out in a healthy way, it's going to come out in unhealthy ways. I don't know who said this to me. It was shortly after my mother-in-law died. And I don't know how your relationship is with your mother-in-law, guys. I don't know how your relationship is, ladies, with your mother-in-law. Kind of reminds me of a, a guy saying one time, "How do you what? How, how are you feeling?" Well, I'm kind of, kind of mixed emotions. What do you mean you got mixed emotions? Well, it's kind of like my mother-in-law driving off a cliff in my brand new Cadillac. I don't know whether I feel good or bad. Or... I did not have that experience with my mother-in-law. I I loved her and lo- still love her. I visit the cemetery and talk with her as much as I do my own father. She's like a second mom to me, and when. When I lost her, and I know all of you, and I want, I'm not trying to say come up to me and hug me and kiss me and all this stuff. I'm not trying to be bitter or nothing. I'm not. But y'all were talking to Denise. How you doing? How you doing? Which makes sense until somebody finally looked at me and goes, you know, Tim, how you doing? Because I know you really loved her too. And my response was, I started crying. I thought, really? Because it's hurt so much. It was a very trying time. But somebody said it to me, and I'm, tra- I'm tracking you down. I want to find you. If you're not in this church, I'm going to find you. Somebody said to me, grief will not be robbed. You ought to write that down. Grief will not be robbed. What are you trying to say, Tim? You're going to grieve one way or another. It's going to come out either healthy or unhealthy. You decide. But it will not be robbed. It will have its day. And I've watched people, and I've watched people over, over the years here at Greater Alton losing their mother, their father, losing a son, losing a daughter. And I watch, you, I watch some of us, and I've watched, well, I don't see some of us anymore because I've watched them implode and go down in flames because they didn't know how to grieve. And I just praise God that we have a grief share ministry here at Greater Alton that helps walk us through what to do when we lose something, when we suffer loss. I'm so thankful for people like Janet Bader and for Nancy Grove, and Nancy Grove especially, because when I lost my mother-in-law, she really helped me through that, walked me through that like, like, a, just like she's holding my hand going, Tim, here's what you need to remember. You need to remember this. You need to remember this. Here's what I'm learning right now. She didn't say I'm all cleaned up and fine now. 
She didn't say that. She goes, no, as I'm going through this, you don't ever get over it, folks. You don't get over things. Not a lot of things in life. You don't get over them. You go through them. You go through them. And what better, you know, what a support group we have here at Greater Alton. The friendships we have that help us, that give us comfort and supply comfort. I just praise God for people like that that have helped me over the years, whether I lost my father back in 1986 or whether I lost Norma just a couple of years ago. Grief will not be robbed. Look what, look, what, look, what, look what it says here in Psalms. David says this. When I kept things to myself, I felt weak deep inside me. I moaned all day long. It hit me. I can either, when, when disappointment, when tragedy, when hardship, when my heart is broken, when I'm, when I'm suffering loss, I can either moan about it or mourn about it. You can either moan about it. And I know a lot of people moan just makes it worse. Or I can learn to grieve and mourn through it. Why? Because blessed are those who mourn. It doesn't say blessed are those who moan. Don't you? Some of you wish that the Bible said that. Well, you do. You can say, wow, man, I'm doing great there. All you do a scale of 1 to 10 on that one, I'd say 10. But he says, blessed are those who mourn. Because when you mourn, when you mourn in a healthy way, that's when God's able to supply comfort. He's able to supply comfort. Now, I want to tell you this word comfort, and I'm going to get way ahead of myself. There's a, the word comfort is, comes from the, from the Greek word parakleo. We also, a, a word that's familiar with some of us Greek scholars. I'm sure we got some Greek scholars here this morning with us. The word parakletos is a reference to the Holy Spirit, and it means the one who walks alongside and helps and strengthens. So this word parakleto is a form of this word parakletos. And it means much more than expressing sympathy to somebody. It's actually coming alongside them, helping them, and giving them strength. And so when, when Jesus says, blessed are those that mourn, He's saying they'll be comforted. Someone's going to come to their side and help them and give them the strength they need to get through it. I've got down here a list. I, 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 it dawned on me in the first service. We went through this list. What are some things? What kinds of things should I mourn over? And you're probably thinking, I already know what to mourn over, Tim. Well, I don't know if we do. I know I don't. There's some things I mourn over. These first two, I definitely do. And you probably identify with them too. Like what, Tim? Well, one of the things we're called to mourn over that the Bible teaches are the bad things that happen to us. That's the first thing. I'm to mourn over the bad things that happened to me. It's okay to mourn. I lost a job. It's okay to grieve over that. I've lost my health. It's okay to grieve over that. I've, I, it's good. It's healthy to do that. I, I lost a loved one. And you know, one of the things, I, as a preacher, um, done, I, I've lost how many funerals I've done. But some of you guys have done funerals. Do you, get to, do you ever ride in the hearse with the... the the funeral director, the mortician, what do you want to call him? I, I get to I ride in a hearse. I, my mom thinks I'm weird. She always did. She goes, Tim, you got this. You ever watch What About Bob? Remember the kid that always had this thing about death? I was that kid. You're going to die. You are going to die. I'd be wearing black around the house before it was cool. 
you know, things like that. And and I I want to ride with the mortician. You know, you'd be surprised. Sometime, if the preacher's going to ride in some other car, you ought to slip in with the mortician and listen to what he has to say. And he talks about how, uh, I, I've heard this with funeral home after funeral home after funeral home. Heard it right across here at Panic one time. It's, you know, Tim, people try to somehow bypass the grieving process. And they need to grieve. If they don't, they're going to get in trouble. That's when they make the dumb decisions they make. They make, they make the dumbest decisions on the heels of a death of a loved one. And he goes, and what I'm noticing is a lot of families don't want to have the funeral. They're, they're eliminating the funerals. They're not having the body. They're not having a visitation. They're just trying to hurry up and get it all over with. And they're trying to think of a fast way to, to, to get through the process. And there is no fast way to get through grieving. He goes, I wish you would tell them that. And I'm telling you, guys, bad things happen to you and I all the time. And we need to learn to mourn and grieve through them. Look what the Bible says here. This is Job. He, on the heels, on the heels of losing his family, he lost all of his sons and daughters in one day. Lost all of his livestock, all of his financial, his financial portfolio, if you want to call it that, was just, just destroyed. And on top of that, his children, all of his children are killed by a freak storm. Now, we know Satan was behind this. But look what he says. Look what the Bible says there. When Job heard this, he tore his clothes and shaved his head because of his great sorrow. But look what else it says. He knelt on the ground, then worshipped God. You see, he didn't moan about it and just leave it there. He mourned at the feet of God. He come to the Lord to help him through it. And sometimes, guys, we, we need to mourn over the bad things that happen to us. We need to make sure we're mourning over them. Otherwise, we get stuck. Here's a second one. The second thing that we should mourn over are the good things that don't happen to me. There's bad things that happen. And by the way, bad things happen a lot of times, and it's not even your choice, not even my choice. They just happen, right? Well, I can't choose. I can't choose that. You can choose to grieve. You can choose to either moan or mourn over it. But then there's the good things that don't happen to me. Like what, Tim? Well, why am I not married yet? I, I want to be married. And I'm not, I'm not, the, I haven't reached that goal. I haven't reached that expectation. You know, uh, I, I've been trying to get a job and I keep getting, they keep hiring somebody else. I have this dream and it just never, I just don't think it's ever going to be fulfilled. In fact, I think I probably ought to give up on it. It's a good thing that doesn't happen. Look at this passage here. Look what it says in Proverbs here. It says, it is sad not to get what you hope for. You say, well, I already knew that. Well, by the way, one translation says, hope deferred crushes the spirit. When we have this hope, oh, I'm expecting something, and then we're disappointed. Instead of stewing and brewing and moaning about it, God says, you, you know, it's real. It's a real disappointment. It's a real loss. You need to mourn. You need to mourn over it. Now, those are the two I think we probably, most of us here, we go, yeah, what? And notice how they relate to me. Relate to me. 
right? They relate to you. Bad things happen to me. Good things don't happen to me. And I don't know how to handle that. I don't know how to process that. Well, there's some other things I should mourn over. Let me give you three more. Here's the, sec- there's the third one. And that's, I need to mourn over the sinful things I do. In fact, I think Jesus may be, that may be his biggest point here. He's trying to say, it starts there. It starts with this poor in spirit. I need God. I can't. He's my iron lung, not my crutch. But also, I need to mourn. I need to be really have a serious response to my sin, to the sinful things I do. Guys, I'll ask: Are you? Do you have a serious response to your sin? Well, I live under grace. I'm forgiven. Well, I know that. But do you mourn over your sin? No, I've been forgiven. I'm not to think about it anymore. Really? Really? Sometimes our lack of dwelling on sin, because we don't, we don't change. Sometimes the mourning gives us the focus and the motivation to change. Look at this passage here. Look Look what David says in Psalm 38. The whole chapter is about what sin is doing to him. And notice that second part. I am full of sorrow because of my sin. Does God love David? Absolutely. Think God forgives David? Absolutely. But David says, you know what? I I want to make sure I understand something. My sin is serious business. Psalms 51, what's he say? Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in my sight. Purge me, Lord. Create in me, he says, a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me, Lord, the joy of my salvation. And let me ask again, renew a right spirit inside me. God loved David? Absolutely. You think God forgives David? Absolutely. You know, I've had people say, and you'll hear people say, well, you don't need to beat yourself up over it. Anybody ever say that to you? Don't beat yourself up over it. This week, we were... Um, we're putting in glass, and I have a guy that's learning to put in glass. And he's been with me four weeks. And one of the things that, you know, if you work in the glass business, I don't know if anybody knows this, but glass is fragile. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, fragile. It says it right there on the side of the, you know, be careful. And we're working on, you know, yeah, the other day, one of my installers put in a windshield, a $2,000 windshield in a $160,000, $180,000 Mercedes Benz. You think he was a little nervous? Well, this guy, this new guy we have, you know, he's, he's learning the ropes on how to do this. And I'm telling him, you know, certainly you're going to mess up. And Danny and I are talking, you know, and he, he, he'd say stuff like, man, I messed up. What would you mess up? Well, I put the wrong information on the ticket. Oh, big deal. And he's like, man, I'm t- I hope I can figure this out. You're doing fine. Your mechanically ab- ability is amazing. You're strong enough, big enough. You're going to be fine. He scratches a car this week. 300 and some odd dollars worth of scratch. Well, it didn't scratch it. I'm sorry. He puts on some Princhwell primer, this black stuff, to cover a scratch, and it sticks out just barely, and, it, and we have to paint a major chunk of the car. And he's, I know it. And I said, well, don't beat yourself up too much. Beat yourself up enough, but not too much. What am I saying to him? You know, you don't want to go, well, it happens, who? You know, sucks to be you, Tim. He goes, let me pay for it. No, you're not going to pay for it. And what I'm telling him is, look, you know, 
This is kind of like being a Christian. We all follow Christ and we say, Lord, I'll never do that again. I'll never, ever do that again. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to straighten up. And it happens again. Oh, man, I don't, do I want to go? Did he wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to create $300 worth of damage on a car? Nobody does that. And we don't wake up in the morning going, today it's going to be a better day on sin. I'm really going to mess it up. No, you're not. You're not about that. And nobody needs to tell you, by the way, nobody needs to tell you you're a sinner. You don't need to turn to somebody and say that. You don't. You don't, need, I don't you need to hear me say, you know, you're a bunch of sinners, you know that. We don't need to hear that. We know that. That's why we're here. So what should my approach be when I sin? I should mourn over it. Why? Because like we just remember Jesus, the blood of Christ was the, God's response to my sin. And by mourning over it, by grieving through it, I learn to change. I'm going, man, I want to change that. Some of you here, guys, are stuck in repetition and, and um, what would you call that, relapse? Might be because you're not mourning, you're just moaning about your sin. So the Bible says we should mourn about the sinful things I do. You know, a lot of times we're, we're moaning and griping about somebody else's sin. When we really need to look at just ours. Here's number four. One of the things I should mourn over is is the suffering of others. The suffering of others. I'm watching the news and I'm watching families in Afghanistan, Turkey, you know, where, where Ige is. I, I'm watching beheadings. I'm watching children with lost limbs, blood-soaked bandages, being carried limp, and I'm sitting there going, this is awful. I'm watching... The poor in America, the sick children were having this virus that's going around. And I'm, and I'm asking myself, you know, do I care about that? And I'll tell you what, guys, if you're indifferent about things like that, it, it just shows you how cold and calloused you really are. That you can look at something like that and go, ah, you know, at least it didn't happen to me. You see, the presence of mourning and, or the presence of of seeing someone suffer in the presence of, of grieving for that person, that's the result of the presence of love for that person, for mankind, for people. Look at what the Bible says here. It must be so important to do this because it's commanded in the Bible, mourn with those who mourn. We're called to mourn and suffer with those who mourn, who are sad. I think one way it says, be sad with those that are sad. But there's another area, and I want to especially encourage you Christians here this morning to think about that I think we should mourn it. We imitate Christ when we mourn, and that is the people who are lost. The people who are lost. Look at what the Bible says about Jesus when he came closer and saw the city, he began to cry. Why is he crying? They're helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. Jesus, you know, he, he gets up one day and goes, gets a, up high somewhere overlooking Jerusalem. Remember the prayer? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stone the prophets. Oh, how I wish I could gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you won't let me. 
He weeps over his city. You weep over your city? You weep over your town? There are people lost. There are people that don't know the Lord like you. You know the Lord. They don't know the Lord. And they're facing disappointment and hardship without any help whatsoever. And I will tell you guys, you know, I know in this room there's a lot of stories about disappointment and heartache. I know it. I know any of you here could talk today about this topic. You know it well. And I want to tell you, I don't know what you're going through, but Jesus says, Blessed are you when you mourn, for you will be comforted. How does God do that? How do I get comfort? How is it possible I can get comfort when I've suffered a disappointment or a loss or tragedy or difficulty? Here's how God can comfort you. Here's what He does. He does six different things. Let me, let me go through them here. The first one is, to comfort me, God draws me close to Himself. To comfort me, God draws Himself close to me, to you. It says in, in Psalms 34, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those whose spirits have been crushed. I don't know, it's easy to think when you're going through a difficult time, God is a million miles away, but actually He's moved inches closer. He's actually moved closer to you when you're going through hardship. You never face difficulty alone as a Christian. In fact, I don't know if you face, the Lord moves closer, if you're not a Christian, close to you wanting to help, you decide if you want Him to help you, if you want His help or not. Look at this next passage. Look at this passage here. This, what a wonderful promise. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. What a great promise. Circle the word never. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Who are the, who are the, who are the, who's saying this? The Lord is saying this. And what's that mean? No matter how difficult it gets for my life, no matter how tough it gets, no matter, no matter how much hardship I might be facing, no matter, no matter how bad things get, no matter how bad I fail, even in my most embarrassing moments, when everybody else says, I'm out of here, God says, not me. I'm not moving away from you. I'm going to step even closer. This morning, if you're going through some hardship, or about to go through some hardship, the Lord is close to you right now. He doesn't want you to go through this alone. Number two, to comfort me, God grieves with me. He grieves with me. God, God grieves? Absolutely. You know, one of the things I think is interesting about us is that, that sets us apart from all the rest of the animals is our ability to grieve. Now, I know there's some studies or some, some cockamamie, you know, animal stuff that says, you know, your dog can be sad. I have a dog. Sandy is my dog. And I notice sometimes she just sits there and gives me the puppy eyes. And I'm thinking, 
I wonder if she's sad. No, she's hungry. And she knows, she's learned. You know, as we're trying to train the dog, the dog's training us. It's figured out. If I go, he'll give me a treat. I'm a sucker for that. You need a treat. And and so Denise goes, you're not giving him a treat, are you? Maybe. No, I'm not giving him one treat. Giving him five, you know. Giving her five. We now have a cat. A new cat. Uh, The name of this cat is NJ. NJ. Stands for Norma Jean. Named after Denise's mom. I have to love this cat. (laughs) NJ. You know what I learned about NJ? She don't care about anybody. She comes up to the door and then goes... And walks out. Doesn't go... Sandy just bolts. Not NJ. Almost disrespectful. This cat don't care about me. This cat has no emotions. You say, I got a kitty cat. Okay, fine, you know. You want to think it's so nice and cute and it just loves you. It doesn't love you. It thinks it owns you. He's sitting around talking to the other cats going, yeah, I got this human being. <laughs> got him from, you know, uh, humans or us. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's this goofy guy, you know, doesn't know what he's doing. I go up to the door and he opens it. I've got him trained already. Cats have no feelings, no emotions. My opinion. Don't tell my cat. But do you see what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm just saying this. That one, but one of the things about about you and I are, is that we are, we are made to grieve. And that's because our Creator, we're made like our Creator, and He grieves. Let me ask you a question. What makes you cry? What will make you cry? Years ago, I'm watching Field of Dreams. You ever seen that movie? Oh my goodness. It'll wear a guy out. Where's a son out? You know, I'd lost my dad. My dad was dead. And here we are watching Field of Dreams. And I'm with some friends. And we're watching. And at the end, you know, Kevin Costner looks at his dad who's come out of the cornfield. I've been on that ball diamond, by the way, twice. I've been there. And he's looking at his dad. And he knows it's his dad. He's, and you're thinking, what are you going to do, Kevin? Don't let him walk back in the cornfield. Do something. And he goes, hey, Dad, want to catch? Oh, I'm crying. I can't. I can't. I can't hold it in. And he's like, Are "You okay?" Oh. My friends are going. Tim, are you going to be all right? Do we need to go to the ER? I'll be fine. What makes you cry? Silly movie. What makes you cry? Can I tell you what I think makes you cry? I'll tell you what makes me cry. The very same things that makes God cry. He, he cries about loss. He cries about things that don't get fulfilled. When dreams don't happen, He mourns over that. You read your Bible, you find He weeps a lot. God cries a lot in the Bible. He cries over people who sin. Read, read Psalm 70 sometime. You'll see that. He, he grieves. The Bible says He grieved when He made man because they were doing whatever they wanted. And He grieved Him. He mourned over that. 
In fact, when you look at Jesus, look at this passage here. Lazarus has been dead for several days. And look what the Bible says. He was despised, or it says, first of all, it says in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows. And it says, acquainted with deepest grief. He understood what it meant to grieve. He understood what it meant to be sad. Now, Jesus didn't walk around with a big, long face. But he understood what it was like to be disappointed, to be hurt, to not see things happen. You think he didn't have a dream for Judas? tough and we find that that we also find that that jesus he he himself was a man who well look what it says here it says in john 11 says when jesus saw mary crying and this is over lazarus and the people with her crying too he was very upset and deeply troubled i've had people i've had preachers say very upset meant he was angry because in some of the translations translate he was mad he was angry because they didn't believe who he was. They didn't believe what he could do. Really? You think? I don't get that impression. The version I get is he is so worked up emotionally and deeply troubled by the sadness and brokenness that he sees. And then we see the shortest verse in the Bible. The easiest verse to memorize in the Bible is what? And yet it's packed two words Two words, I can, Jesus wept, got it, got it down. You know any Bible? Yeah, Jesus cried. I got it. Easy to, to memorize, and yet look what it's saying. You have a Savior who suffers, who understands, who's sympathetic, and who, who, who relates to you. He's not some God that's up in some big throne it's disconnected and doesn't have any idea. You know, Jesus, I'm going through this. Really? Oh, I'm sorry. I, well, I, don't, I don't have a clue. He doesn't, it's not like that at all. He understands it. He's experienced it himself. He sympathizes with you and I. He grieves with you. When you cry, He cries. That's what I learned in this passage. He saw people crying, he cried. And when he sees you suffer, he suffers with you. The pain that you're feeling right now, he feels with you. Number three, let's go to the third point, Pat. To comfort me, here's another thing I notice God gives me my church family for support. How does God comfort me? When I mourn, and I'm, how am I comforted? God gives me a church family, my church family, to support me. I cannot begin to say how, how much my small group has helped me through very trying times. Went to a small group one time. I just had nothing left. I was just completely, I just it had no energy, no nothing and I remember sitting there, and, we, and somebody had made Italian, made pasta house salad, made a nice Italian meal. And I'm supposed to be leading the group. And my wife just comes up to me as I'm sitting in a chair, and I am so discouraged, so sad, so broken. And she puts her hand on my shoulder and just says, you know, guys, right now Tim's just going through a real tough time. Could we just love up on him? You know what everybody does? Sure. And they gather around me, hug me. I bawl. 
watching, you know, my discipleship group just two weeks ago, we're sitting around and a guy's sharing about some, some deep things in his life, trying to figure out what to do. And what happens? One of the fellows in, the, in my group that I would have thought would have said nothing speaks up and says, you know what you need to do? I'd do this. I tried what you're doing. It doesn't work. You need to do this. And encouraged him. He comforted him. The word comfort meaning what? Not a whole lot more than sympathy, but to help and strengthen. And guys, you need a support group. Every one of us needs... How can you go through something by yourself? Some of you try to do that, and you try to come across strong. You think you're impressing anybody? You're not impressing anyone. But Tim, if I, if I open up like that and I let somebody help me carry stuff, it'll be a sign of weakness. I've said it for years. It's not a sign of weakness when you do what God wants. It's a sign of wisdom. Look at the Bible says here. In the same way, even though we are many individuals... Christ makes us one body and individuals who are connected to each other. The Bible says that we're connected by Christ. Then he says, in, that's verse 5, verse 10 says, Be devoted to each other like a loving family. And then he says in verse 15, Be happy with those who are happy. Be sad with those who are sad. What, what's he saying there? He's saying, when somebody else is successful, when someone else gets married, when someone else has a child, when someone else gets a new car, when someone else has a promotion, when someone else gets a raise, when someone else has something awesome happen, that they're cancer-free, you're not supposed to get jealous and get all down on them and go, man. How come, how come they get that and I don't? You be happy for them. Be happy for them. By the way, you know, here we are. You know, it's Matthew calls. You want to come down? Come down to the hospital. Come down to the hospital. Well, what's going on? Is the baby here? Come down to the hospital and see. Stop messing with me. Tell me if the baby's here. Well, come and see. Click. Gah! So we go down there, and we're sitting there in the waiting room with the parents. Here comes Steve and Bobby. They walk in. We sit down. You know anything? Then Matthew walks in. Come on down and see. And we go, and there she is, Carmody, just beautiful little swaddled, looks like a papoose kind of feel there, you know, just beautiful. Her head's all like this because it's only been hours ago, you know. And so it's now it's all getting rounded and it's beautiful. She's getting prettier and prettier. I got a picture of her first booger. I mean, I've got some cool pictures. And I'm not saying, man, you know, Steve and I are sitting, here's, let me tell you, it's a dangerous thing to put a cell phone in the hands of a new grandpa. Dangerous. If you don't want people to know, take the cell phones away from the grandparents. Because we're sitting there like this. Can we, can we, oh, it's too late, I did. There was a picture on Facebook before they even got to send anything out. I'm texting Texas, Arizona, you know, up in Springfield. I'm telling everybody. And then Steve's over there going, can, can I put the name? We got the name, right? Can I, can I, can I? I yeah, yeah, I'm doing it. We're not sitting there going, we're not sitting there, you know, the grandparents, we're not sitting there going, family members are going, man, I'm so disappointed that you have a baby. No, we're all excited. We're happy. We're doing stupid things because we're so excited and happy. That's the way it works in families, right? But in the church, the family, God's family, God's family, we should be happy. 
With that said, we should be sad when, when someone said it. We shouldn't say, oh, good. <laughs> I'm reminded, my two sons, sibling rivalry still, you know, is alive and well. Matthew's got his Prius. Nathan's got his Prius, you know. And Matthew is backing out. He's, you know, they're about to have a child. He's a little, Matthew's a little scatterbrained. Nathan's liking it. He backs out, crunches his door. Hey, you hear about Nathan? Man, he crunches his door. And Nathan says something like this, rough paraphrase. Well, it's about time something bad happened to him. <laughs> kind of like that. You know what I'm saying, though? Well, we do. I do the same thing with my brothers. And yet in God's family, when someone said we shouldn't be going good, they should be saddened by it. See, the church has got to be this place, guys. For some of us here, our families don't care about us. For some of us here, our families don't care if we're sad. And they're jealous when we're happy. Where's the place they're going to find where they can find rejoicing when there's rejoicing and sadness when there's sadness? That somebody goes, I understand. Isn't it here? It must be here. God gives me a church family to do that. Let me say three things real quick to you. If you want to write them down, you can. I learned them this week. And that is, it goes like this. Notice it says here, it says, so comfort each other and give each other strength. That's what comfort is. It's helping each other and giving each other strength. What, what do you want to say, Tim? Well, if you're going to do this, if you're going to give comfort to other people in the kingdom, other people in your church, don't minimize the pain. Don't minimize their pain. You want to don't. What do you mean? Well, I've, I've heard it said like this. You lost your baby. Well, you're young enough to at least to have another one. You kidding me? You kidding me? Or, you know, one day, one of these days, you're going to laugh about this. Really? You kidding me? I come back from my father's funeral and someone said, so how was your vacation? You kidding me? You kidding me? Don't minimize a person's pain. It's not yours. It's theirs. Another don't. Don't be in a hurry to fix them. We get in a big hurry. A lot of us here are fixers. Anybody here fixers besides me? Raise your good hand. Good hand. You probably got a wrench in it right now. Yeah, we love to fix stuff. And we like to fix people. And we get in a hurry. And we try, and God's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want them to go through this process, Tim. Don't you want them fixed? Yes. But the way they're going to get fixed is going through the mourning process. And if you get in there and fix things for them, they're not going to learn anything. They're not going to grow from it. Number three, don't rush people. When are you going to get back to work? When are you going to start doing this again? When are you going to start doing that again? We think that's encouraging. It's really discouraging. Because healing takes time. Healing takes time. We'll say, when are you going to get over it? You never get over it. You only go through it. You only go through it. Number four. I'm looking around here. Number four. <laughs> You'll see why. Um, 
to comfort me, God gives me the, uh, uses my grief to help me grow. He actually uses this to help me grow. Look what the Bible says here in 2 Corinthians. Your sorrow made you change your lives. He's saying grief helps me change my life. You became sad in the way God wanted you to. You mean God's, there's a certain sorrow, a certain grieving process, or a certain mourning He wants me to have? Yes, God has a certain way He wants me to be on this. And, it, and when I am, that's when I'm changing. It says the kind of sorrow God wants makes people change their hearts and lives. This leads to salvation, and you can't be sorry for that. But the kind of sorrow the world has brings death. See that? The world moans. The godly mourn. Number five. To comfort me, God gives me the hope of heaven. We don't talk about heaven much at Greater Alton. I'm hoping we're going to change that. It um, perplexes me that we get excited about a movie, Heaven is Real, about a four-year-old, that tells me we're not really, we don't know a lot about heaven. Amen. We don't talk about it, we don't think about it, but it's real. And guys, it's a place, we don't, we're, thank God we're not going to have to stay here. It's too toxic, too evil, too broken. And as I get older, maybe it's, you know, they say as you get older you think about the grave more. I don't know. I've thought about it all my life, but I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to heaven. And God comforts us with knowing that place is there for us, that it's our way out, our way out of this place. Look at the Bible says here. It says here in 1 Thessalonians, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. See, there's two kinds of ways you can grieve, guys. For we believe, this is the other way, this is the best way. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we also believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's Word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of the call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are still left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Praise God. What a comforting thought. Number six. Number six. God, to comfort me, God uses my pain to help others. And I've I thought Nancy really made it clear here, made a, made a great job of, of, of explaining that. That I, I believe this, that the way God comforts us is when I begin to use, when I begin to comfort others, when I begin to use where I've hurt to help others that are hurting, it's how God gives me comfort along the way. I don't know where we get this idea, I've got to all be cleaned up and perfect before I can help somebody. I, I have mechanics that work on my car that are really messed up, you know what I mean? But they fix my car. Their personal life is shot. Why do I think I've got to have it all together before I can help somebody? That makes sense. In fact, I'd rather have somebody helping me that's going through what I'm going through than a hundred years ago they had the problem. 
There's just something about that. Look at what the Bible says here. Praise be the God of Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. So that, why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. That help, that, str- that strength that we get from God, we're able to give to others. You know, who better to help somebody who's lost a child than somebody who's lost a child, right? Who better to help somebody who's an addict that's going through an addiction, help, a, a former addict, or somebody that's taking going through the steps of recovery? It just makes sense. But all I love about this, notice it says that because we our troubles are comforted, that we can comfort those in any trouble. Why? Because all trouble has the same solution, and that's Jesus. If you want to know where you should start helping folks, what have you been grieving over? What are you mourning over? What are you mourning over? There's where you start. There's where you start. Now I want to say one last thing and and we're done here this morning. Look at this passage. I find it... I'm just curious about this passage. See if you notice what I notice. Paul says, Our hearts ache, but at the same time we have the joy of the Lord. Huh? Our hearts ache, but at the same time we have the joy of the Lord. How's that possible? Jesus is the only one that makes that possible. Jesus Christ is the difference. And notice he says, we are poor, but we give rich spiritual gifts to others. Because, because Jesus makes a difference, I can help other folks. Guys, we've been learning, we've been learning all year. If you remember, what's our theme? I'm yours, Lord. Everything I've got, everything I am, and everything I'm not, I'm yours, Lord. Try me now and see. See if I will be completely yours. Is it your life? My love, I leave in your hands. I'll gladly perform as your will demands. I know it's not much. Your gifts to repay. That's all I can give. And all I can say. You put us in us all a desire to belong, to join with your strength, there's the comfort, and thus become strong. With that thought in mind, I reach for the prize. I lift up my voice to reemphasize I'm yours, Lord. Everything I've got, everything I am, and everything I'm not, I'm yours, Lord. Try me now and see. See if I'll be completely yours. You know, I, that whole song is about God's stewardship on you, on me. God does, will not waste a hurt in your life. He wants to use it. and He wants to be a steward of that when He's the center of your life. When He is the center of your life, He makes a difference where you can ache and have joy at the same time. Can you say that this morning? Can you say, I ache, but I have joy at the same time? Joy is coming in the morning, Tim. I know God will comfort me. And may God bless you and give you all comfort, give you the strength and the help as you go through what you're going through. Look for His comfort. comfort. Mourn so He can comfort you. You have a card to bulletin and and that card's simply an opportunity for you to respond to this lesson. And maybe you've got a prayer request, or maybe you've got a you've got a commitment you're wanting to make. Write it down in that card. It's good to write down our commitment. I'm making a commitment 
to mourn and not moan. Some of you here need to do that. Write it down. Say, you know what? I'm not going less moaning, more mourning this week. You know, help me, Lord. Pray for me to find the find the comfort of God. Pray for me to be a person that, like Nancy, I think says, is using her pain to help other people. Let me see those opportunities. We're going to give you a chance to fill out this card while we sing a song, and then we're going to sing another song and take up these cards along with our contribution. May God bless you. Have a wonderful September, church. What a beautiful week we're going to have. And I want to ask you not only just to enjoy the weather, but make a difference in someone's life. Let's pray. God, thank You for for today. Thank You for uh, Sundays, Lord. I love Sundays. I love Sundays, Lord, to be with Your people. What What an awesome privilege. What a blessing, Lord. Lord, I know some of us here are hurting. Some of us here are discouraged. And Lord, help us to see. Help me to see. Help the rest of us to see, Father, You are so close. You've you've actually moved closer because of the brokenness inside. Let us be reassured, Father. Let us draw comfort from You grieving with us. And let us find comfort, Father, from, from those in the church here that have been so helpful. You know, Nancy's helped me a ton. Janet's helped me a ton. Father, I just think about people have helped me through times, really dire times. My brother has helped me through a ton of stuff when it was so sad. And they, they, they carried a burden with me. They, they got close enough and got a hold of that. Lord, help us recognize and take advantage, help us recognize those people and take advantage of the support we have here at Greater Alton. Lord, I, I pray, we pray, Father, that we can be blessed by grief like Nancy has that we can grow from it. Father, thank You for the hope of heaven. I think about the day when every tear will be wiped away, Father. I think about, I think about the last tears will be wiped away because, Father, when I read in Revelation about this place that wipes away all tears, I know He's talking about Your church, talking about Your kingdom, and already You're doing that. Father, we pray that... We, I long for the day. We pray for the day, that last day, when the last tear will be wiped away and no more death. Thank You for heaven, Lord. And Father, I pray that we pray that we will have the courage to use our pain to let You use it at any time You want because we are Yours, Lord. And to let You use us whenever You see fit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.